بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين مولانا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن سبيهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد respected brothers elders esteemed scholars السلام عليكم ورحمة الله brothers I want to ask you a question you and I all say that we believe that the rizq that we have, the wealth that we have is from Allah. Yes? We believe that the taqseem that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has distributed is from solely from Allah. Allah is the one who made those who are rich. Allah made those who are poor. And on that you will often hear people saying, Alhamdulillah, for the favor that they have. So the question I want to ask you, if you were poor, because taqseem is from Allah, Allah could have made you poor. If you happen to be poor, how would you have liked to be treated? If you didn't have the riches, when your Muslim brother interacted with you, how would you like them to treat you? Because it's not your kamal that Allah gave you, it's from Allah. Unless now in the last 30 seconds your has changed. From Allah. So how would you have liked to be treated? If you look into the seerah of the Prophet the message of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa would make du'as. Allahumma ahnini miskinan wa amitni miskinan wa ahshurni fi zumrat al-masaqeen yawm al-qiyamah. Oh Allah, as long as you keep me alive, then keep me alive in poverty. Poverty is of two types, I don't want to go into depth of it. But he chose to be poor. He chose to be poor. The one that he sought refuge one was from the poverty which you are afflicted with, which you have no option. The message of Allah made dua, oh Allah, as long as you keep me alive, keep me alive in poverty. You know how much the message of Allah spent within his lifetime? Gave in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 21 million dollars. The man sallallahu alayhi wasallam who at times would have nothing in his home. The stove would not be lit for two months. And all they would eat was water and date. Gave 21 million dollars in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma ahyini miskinan wa amitni miskinan. Oh Allah, when you give me death, give me death in poverty. Aisha radiallahu anha says when the message of Allah was passing away, all he had was seven dirhams to his name. Seven dirhams. He had wives, he had children, but he had seven dirhams. And she says that he said, oh Aisha, give that in the path of Allah. And she said, I got busy with the message of Allah. So he became unconscious and when he regained consciousness, the first thing he asked, 
Aisha, have you given that seven dirhams in the path of Allah? Aisha radiallahu anha says, Oh, Messenger of Allah, I got busy with you. He said, Oh, Aisha, how will I stand in front of Allah on the day of judgment and I have wealth in my possessions? But the last one is the amazing one. Oh Allah, as long as you give me life, give me life in poverty. When you give me death, give me death in poverty. Aisha radiallahu says, when the message of Allah passed away, we did not even have oil to be burnt in the lantern of the house of the message of Allah. Oh Allah, when you resurrect me, resurrect me with the poor people. The ulama say, look at the words of the message of Allah. He didn't say, Oh Allah, resurrect the poor people with me. He said, Oh Allah, resurrect me with the poor people. Because he said, Those who are light in this dunya will be heavy in the scales of Allah. Because if you've got nothing in this dunya, what you going to answer for? What you going to answer for? And this was the dua of the message of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the message of Allah empowered people. You know, you have these best words nowadays. Empowerment. We want to empower the women. We want to empower the children. We want to empower the minorities. The message of Allah really empowered people. Those who came from the lowest strata of society became the highest strata of society. You know, Mufti Sahib was just mentioning. Very interesting about the tongue. You know, you have guys saying nowadays, "Pro me, I don't mix my words." I say it as it is, like it or lump it, I'm going to say it. In the time of the message of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Dhar and Bilal radiallahu anhu had an argument, and he called him, Ya ibn Saudad, or you son of a black woman. So he went to the message of Allah and he complained, Oh message of Allah, he's called me the son of a black woman. And the message of Allah called Abu Dhar, he said to Abu Dhar, Ya Abu Dhar, innaka imran fi jahiliyah. Abu Dhar, what you are displaying is not Islam. It's pre-Islam. What did he say? What did Abu Dhar say? He called him, you son of a black woman. He was the son of a black woman. He didn't lie. That's what he was. But his intention was to harm and hurt. You can say the truth, but when your intention is to hurt other people, then it contradicts the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. You come around and say, bro, you know, I say it how it is. Makes you feel good in it, makes you feel mad. I say it how it is. Like your Olympic, I'm going to say it. I'll tell you on your face. Ya Habibi. And then the Messenger of Allah said, he said the amazing thing, this is a Bukhari narration. He said to him, he said, Khawlukum ikhwanukum, ikhwanukum khawlukum. Generally in the Arabic language, so he said, your brothers are your slaves. Normally you would say, Khawlukum ikhwanukum, your slaves are your brothers. But he said, ikhwanukum khawlukum, meaning your brothers come first, then they're your slaves. And this is how the message of Allah changed society, really. Changed people's perception. We, from the India subcontinent and many others, we've been here in Africa since the late 1800s. And we still have a change of perception. UK the same. 
We haven't changed our perception regarding other people. We stereotype people. We've made up our mind what they are like and they are not befitting that we assist them. That's it. They are not befitting that we assist them. And the Messenger of Allah said, what did he say? He said, he's your brother, then he's your slave. And he changed people's perception. Let me show you how we changed it. Abu Bakr bought Bilal, anhu. who was Abu Bakr? Abu Bakr was the man regarding who the Messenger of Allah said, if the Iman of Abu Bakr was placed in one side of the scale, and the Iman of the entirety of humanity was placed in the other side of the scale, the entirety of humanity, the Iman of Abu Bakr would be heavier than the weight of the Iman of the entirety of humanity. Abu Bakr would say, Bilal, Sayyiduna, he bought Bilal, he freed Bilal, Bilal Sayyiduna. The second greatest man to walk on the face of this earth, the man regarding who the Messenger of Allah said, if there was a Nabi to come after me, it would have been Umar ibn Khattab. If Umar walks down one valley, one alley, one street, Shaitan can never walk that street. The Messenger of Allah said, last night I entered Jannah and I saw this beautiful palace. And I wanted to enter and I asked, who does this palace belong to? They said it belongs to Umar ibn Khattab. And the Messenger of Allah turned to Umar and he said, Umar, I remembered your ghayrat and I didn't enter. And Umar began to cry and he said, oh ghayrat from you, O Messenger of Allah. Abu Umar, the greatest, second greatest man of this Ummah, radiallahu anhu would say, Abu Bakr Sayyiduna wa Ataqa Sayyidina. Abu Bakr is my master and he freed my master Bilal. What did the Messenger of Allah do here, brothers? He changed people's perception of reality. That's what he did. You and I can find an excuse not to help everybody. So let's take an example. The old Indians who have come here since the early 90s. They will say regarding the new Indians who have been coming recently. Are these freshies? I don't know what you use, but we use freshies. Oh yeah, are these freshies? They're different. They might be the same comb. They might say, came to Harucha, but they're different. Forget about the Pakistanis and the Bengalis. They're alien. And the Malays, and the blacks, Toba, Toba, Toba. Blacks! Do they deserve our help? Because see, the truth is you and I can find a fault somewhere. We can find it. We can find a reason for not helping others. How did you become the master race? And I'm not just speaking about the Indians, I'm speaking about everybody. I'm speaking about the blacks, I'm speaking about everybody. I'm speaking about the Malays, everybody. How did every single one of you become the master race? The blacks are the master race. The Malays are the master race. The Somalians are the master race. The Pakistanis, the Bengal. All of you are master races, mashallah. Allah couldn't find anybody besides you. Allah couldn't find. And the message of Allah came and he changed people's perception. Listen, you want to make excuses? A man came into the masjid of the Prophet and he urinated. He urinated. 
Oh, they look different. He urinated. And the Sahaba were rolling up their sleeves. And the Messenger of Allah said, calm down, leave the man. He comes from far away. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't have the opportunities that you and I had. His mother didn't drop him off at Madarsa in a BM. He said, leave him. He came and the Messenger of Allah sallallahu gave him dawah. And you know what he became? He became radiyallahu anhu wa radu an. He became better than every single individual in this gathering. Why? Because the Messenger of Allah, Allah cared. That was the difference, he cared. A boy came to the Messenger of Allah and he said, Oh Messenger of Allah, give me permission to commit zina. Imagine today, some youngster comes in and he says to Sheikh Saab, Mulana Sufyan Saab, Hafidullah, he says, Mulana Saab, Jazat Dona. Kis cheez ki jazat? Give me permission. The Murids around him, Hazrat Murids, would batter him. Would batter him. How dare you? Because understand, not everybody's on your level. Can't you understand this? Not everybody looks like a bazurk. He's sitting here, mashallah. What did the Messenger of Allah say to him? He said, Udnu minni. The man who wants to commit the most dirtiest action and the Messenger of Allah said, come closer to me. And he came closer to him and the Messenger of Allah explained, like Mufti Sahib was saying, with love and muhabbat, explained. He said, would you like somebody to fornicate with your mother, with your sister, with your auntie? He said, no. And then the Messenger of Allah placed his hand over his chest and he made a dua for him. And he walked out. And he said there was nothing more despisable to me after that meeting with the Messenger of Allah than Zina. And the scholars mentioned of the morality of this young man. The brothers, wallahi, the, it's the truth is, we've decided what deen is. Me and you have decided what deen is and that's it. And we have no fikr. We have no real fikr, that's the truth. Let me tell you a man who had fikr. You know, Mufti Sahib was just saying that somebody spat upon him, spat upon his face. The Messenger of Allah, for 10 years, whilst he was in Medina, and was in Makkah, every single year, would go to the Mushrikeen Hajj camps. And the narrations mentioned that he would go from tent to tent, tent to tent, and they would take up dust, and they would throw it in his face, and they would spit in his face, and they would say, couldn't Allah find anybody besides you? And the narration mentions, one day at the end of the day, his daughter, Zainab radiallahu anha, she was a young girl, she brought him some water, and he began to wash the dust and the spit of his face. And then he look up, looked up at the face of his daughter, and, and he saw her face, he saw the hurt, the despondency. And the Prophet sallallahu said, he said, oh my daughter, don't become despondent, for I swear by Allah, a day will come that this thing will reach every baked and unbaked home. You think by you writing a few things regarding some scholar or saying a few things by a scholar, your daraja goes up. 
people spat in the face of them, greater than Christian sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You want to see fikr? You want to see fikr? The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam met a man called Rukana. Rukana was the undisputed wrestler amongst the Arabs. Umar radiallahu anhu Khalib and Walid were wrestlers. But nobody ever defeated Rukana. Rukana was the Mayweather of the time, the Khabib of his time. Nobody messed with Rukana. The Messenger of Allah said to Rukana, Listen, Rukana, if I beat you in a wrestle, would you embrace Islam? He said, You're having a laugh. Beat me, Rukana. The Messenger of Allah said, Will you embrace Islam? Rukana said, Come on then. The Messenger of Allah gripped him, dropped him, and Rukana came up with the usual. I wasn't looking. Oh, my foot slipped. So the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said, Okay, come again. He gripped him and dropped him again. The ulama, you know what they write here? They say, look at the fikr the Messenger of Allah had for humanity that he was ready to wrestle people to bring them closer to Allah. Hazrat Saab, ask me, ask me. If somebody said on the street, Sheikh, have a bit of wrestle, bit of grappling. You do me, I'll come to the masjid. Sit on your bike. Allah wants to give you hidayah, they'll give you hidayah. Waste my time grappling. But this was the message of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That he was ready to wrestle people. Hazrat Sahib, do you have that fikr? Do I have that fikr? We have a, a thing, a certain, you know, everybody in the deen. And this happens, it's a natural. Since I've grown older, my outlook has changed. I would say somewhat I've been, become more conservative. But I understand one thing. My children, my boys like football. They're Chelsea fans. Whatever fatwa you give, tayyib. But I'd rather than they speak to me about football, than speak to somebody else. I'd rather I relate their dad, and they can relate to their dad. Because kids will be kids. And maybe you were never a kid. Maybe you were born waliullah. But most kids are kids. I was a kid. Actually, I'm still a kid. Just kidding. <clears throat> but this is it. Different people relate to different people. Wallahi, I was, I was telling my dinner, sometimes I speak to my children, and you know about me, you know my son's in the, in the studies in Ahmadatha Dalung, he's in year two. So, I can kind of give the lingo. So they often say to my son, he tells me that, they say, your dad's so cold, cold, what happened to you? Now cold in England means you're cool. So they say to my son, your dad's so cold, what happened to you? But I honestly speak to my children and I think these are children who have to be in my house, grown up. And they're on one planet and I'm on a different planet. The challenge is, and this is why we need ulama who can relate to these children. We need, we need, otherwise you will lose a generation. We need people who can speak the language of these children, who they can relate to. You know when you have, when Mufti Sahib will tell you, when you have a function in the UK, everybody comes. Ponytail, 
you know, dressed in the jean, cut jean, everybody comes. And that's, and there's many of them out on the streets, I've seen them, where are they today? Because we've never endeavored to come down to their level. We come down to their level to bring them up a notch and bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So brothers, my time is nearly up. One, five minutes. I want to tell you about a story in the life of the Prophet And three brothers, all this Josh of mine, it's a waste of time. If you're not going to change. Ya Wallahi, I'm telling you. I studied in South Africa. Can I be slightly direct without being rude like the hadith? Can I, can I be? When I studied in Dalum Newcastle, you know what Dalum Newcastle is like. You have a lot of Malays, you have a lot of blacks, now it's considered blacks. They would say to me, how come you can chill with everybody? How come you can... I said, because I went to a school, I grew up in a place near Heathrow Airport, which are predominantly white. At school, my friends were black, they were white, they were brown, they were all colors. And I, and I used to go to the homes for tea. And because of my intermingling, I could see, I, I could mix with other people. Now I live in Birmingham, we don't see a white face. There are no white people there, they're all on the outskirts. We rule. But this is it. Until you interact with other people, you will not realize the good that they have. As long as you have a perception. See, when I was here, I had a teacher from Pakistan. And I was thinking, why, why are so many religious individuals Treat their workers so bad. This is not my words, this is his words. He said, Molana, you weren't born in this society. You weren't brought up in this society. If maybe you were, then maybe that is what is ingrained in you from the day that you were born. You give handouts to these people, they work in your homes, and if everybody comes on a certain level, then you are no longer the Chaudhry. You are no longer the man. Nobody opens the door, nobody says, Sir, same thing in Pakistan, same thing in India, same thing in Bangladesh. But not the Sunnah. Anything but the Sunnah. So I'm not care. I, I want you to adopt the Sunnah. And then adopting the Sunnah will take a while. But how did the Messiah of Allah bring slaves and give them Issa? In the time of the Messiah of Allah, there was a woman called Ummi Mihjan. This is a Bukhari narration. Some of the Atraf are from different kitabs. But this is a Bukhari narration. Ummi Mihjan worked for a group of people. She was an African slave. So one day, a young girl who belonged to the family, she had this brocade, a red brocade. And she's wearing this red brocade, and then she goes to sleep. And she leaves the brocade to the side. And it's a very expensive brocade. Umar Mehjan is sitting there and then she sees a kite, an eagle comes down. It swoops down, it picks up the brocade thinking it's meat and it disappears. So they come, they're looking for the brocade, they can't find it. Who do they pick on? They pick on the weakest. 
So the narration mentions that they searched it, strip searched it, they even searched the private part. Whilst they're doing this, whilst they're doing this, the kite flies by and it drops a brocade. And they realize that what she was saying was the truth. So they feel bad. So they let her go. So she goes where? She's got no home. She heard about a man who lived in Medina. And this man who lived in Medina cared about him. All the poor people went close to him. They loved him. He gave them hope. He empowered them. So she goes to Medina and she tells the Prophet ﷺ about her story. And the Prophet ﷺ now makes a house in Masjid Nabi ﷺ. And what would Ummi Masjid do? She would clean the Masjid. That's all. She would clean the Masjid. After a few days, the Messenger of Allah realized that Ummi Mehjan is not there. The Messenger of Allah said, where is Ummi Mehjan? They said, oh Messenger of Allah, she passed away. We enshrouded her and we buried her in Jannah Tabaki. And the Messenger of Allah said, why didn't you tell me? And the narration of Sahih Muslim says, Ka'annahum sagru amraha. It's as though they didn't regard her as very high status. They didn't regard her as a person who gave big mashwaras, who, who was from the Muhajirun or the Ansar, who's of status. I want to ask you a question here, brothers. How many of you would notice if the cleaner in the masjid was absent? How many? How many would you notice? The man who had the burden of humanity on his shoulders. Realize that Umm Mihjan, an ex-slave from Africa, wasn't there. And he said, why do you tell me? And they said, oh Messenger of Allah, she passed away, we buried in Jannah of Baqi. Wallahi, every time I go to the Haram, I stand in the Sahin and I envisage this. How the Messenger of Allah would have got up from Masjid Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and then walked to Jannah al Baqi. And, and he went to Jannah al Baqi. And he wanted to show them, she may not have status in your eyes, but let me show you her status. The Messenger of Allah said, where is the grave of Umm Mehjan? They said, this O Messenger of Allah. And the Messenger of Allah stood on her grave and he prayed her Janazah Salah to show humanity that you may just clean the masjid, but in the eyes of Allah you are lofty. You want to create an Ummah, brothers? You want to create an Ummah? Does bombs have to fall on people's heads for you to start showing empathy? You care about Gaza like you should. But what about your neighbors? What about the people who work for you? And that will never ever change until you go back to the seerah. What I am saying is nothing that I am making up. You can turn around and say to the guy who UK is deluded. But I'm giving you the seerah of the Prophet So brothers, I love you very much for the sake of Allah. And I do. I have a deep connection with South Africa. Only a couple of places in the world that I like to go. And South Africa is one of them. And I was, and I want to be frank, I was very in awe of the South Africans. Because our parents came to the UK in the 1960s. When I started practicing, 
All the books that we read were from South Africa. Mona Zahiragi and this and that. Nobody in English, England, wrote books. In the 1980s, nobody could give a bian in English. All our masjid bians were in Urdu or some other language. I was in awe. I left. I said, look at South Africans. Look at, mashallah, the wealth that they have, the organization, the MJC, the Jamiat. No minority in the world has anything like this. No minority. The political clout that they have. Wallahi, I was in awe. Thirty-five years later, I don't know what happened to you people. I am seriously speaking. You look at where the UK Dawah scene has gone. You all on social media, and you have these events, and the ikhtilaf, and the hate for each other, and sending messages around that it's been cancelled. How childish. Even the Salafis don't do that to us. Even the Brailwis don't do that to us. Now I say, Wallahi, I say this with all due sincerity. This is not me having a go. This is a reality check. Where you were at the head of everybody in the English-speaking world. Nobody compared. No America, no UK, nobody compared with the South Africans. So you need to be focused. You need to understand your challenges. You need to know what the challenges are. Brothers, you have it very simple. Wallahi, I'm telling you, your government allows you. If you were in the West and you came out with this nonsense and they would wrench up the pressure, I swear, all of you would change your tune. But you have it very easy. And thank Allah you have it easy. Thank Allah, say, see how in UK they challenge us. Oh, the government, you say one statement in a bian and all of a sudden, you're in the newspaper the next day. You have, thank Allah. Now take this opportunity. Become the leaders again. Become at the forefront. You have ulama, great ittifaq, muhabbat, greater ummah. Show the world you got the wealth. You got the structure, you got the organization. You're missing one thing. You're missing the seerah. You're missing the love for each other. And love each other for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate you from status to status. May Allah, and please don't take my words bad. I say it through sincerity. I come from the outside. If you came to the UK, you'd see many problems in the UK. And you say this, and that's true. Sometimes we are oblivious to our own problems. They call it collective delusional state. When somebody from the outside comes and they say, oh, I can see this problem. So if you came to Birmingham, I am sure you'd see Molana's been there, Molana's been there. You'd see plenty of issues. But when I come here, and I studied in South Africa, I studied by a man, Wallahi, who had a, Amazing impact on my life. This was a man who was a rajul. He never give a damn what people did. He didn't have murids around him. He had Cape Malays and he had blacks around him. Nobody drove him because often he would drive at the age of 70, 75 his own thing. But let me tell you, he changed the landscape of South Africa. You go to Cape Town. When I, in the, in the 80s, in the 90s when I studied, nobody, they hated Maulana's in Cape Town. You were a sheikh, he spent two years in Azhar, big man. 
You are Malawi, you are Indian. Maulana, that's why they have that distinction. Only place in the world, Maulana and Sheikh. Today you see Mullah Qasim Sima Rahmatullah Alayhi's vision, how he changed the landscape of Cape Town, changed the landscape of Durban, of South Africa. May Allah bless you, may Allah bless Mulana Hafizahullah, Mulana Sulman Rawat for inviting me, Zakmullah to the Mashkumiti, Barakallah Fikum, Assalamu Alaikum Rahmatullah.